This morning we're going to look at um, Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27. And we're going to talk about a parable called the parable of the ten minas. And it's been said that most of us live with this daily fear of our lives won't matter. We feel like we need to do something spectacular in order to leave behind some kind of legacy. We think that we have to earn something big to make our lives worth anything. And if you think about it, if you think about it, really, a life is a life. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't make your life worth any more. Think about everyone that you would esteem as more on this above me, quote unquote, whatever that might look like. More famous, more money, more power, whatever it might be. And, and their life is not worth any more than yours. They didn't choose where they were born, and they're not going to choose necessarily when and how they're going to die. The same with people that you would say maybe look up to you and where your status is in life. The same way that your life is not worth any more than, than theirs. And in all of this, God says to you, that I love you. I love every person. And the reason why that we can say that, that he says that your life is not more worthy than anybody else, is that I gave my son to, to live on this earth, to be born a human, and to be obedient unto death, and to die for you. I mean, I gave him to do that. And what that says is that says I love you, even though right now Satan is running rampant on the earth and causing destruction and causing lies to be believed and all of that and pain and suffering and the sin and what that has caused on this earth. Even beyond all of that, God says I love you. And the reason why we know that's true is because of the son that he sent, the 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 death that he died, he was buried and he defeated death and he rose again and he's seated now at the right hand of God. Which says to all of us that your life matters. It really, really does. It matters because you're loved by God. And really for something to matter, it has to have value. And God has placed a high value on your life as evidenced by the supreme sacrifice of his son on the cross. And so I want you to tuck away these three words that your life matters, okay? As we get into Luke chapter 19. We are coming into a, a section of scripture that concludes, we, we began this year, 2019, in, in Luke chapter, the end of Luke chapter 14. Remember that Jesus has kind of made a turn with his dialogue, who he's visiting with, and before it was the religious leaders mainly and now he's going to focus on you as disciples, his disciples, which you and I. And so he said, this is what it's going to be like if, if you are to say yes to me. And some of the things that we've been learning is that we are to um, have an attitude of 
gratitude or being grateful like the ex-leper, the, the, the ten who were healed and the one that came back and said thank you to Jesus. And whatever is going on in our life, right, we talked about that. What we need to have is this attitude of thankfulness, an attitude of gratitude because of everything that he's done for you and I. And then we talked about being persistent, that as disciples, that we are to be persistent, to persevere in prayer, trusting that our Heavenly Father will answer one way or another. We are to be childlike in our faith to, to our Heavenly Father, just like a little one has faith in you as mom and dad, that we're to have that childlike faith. And then we talked about, and, and this is, was, came as a, as a surprise to those that were reading and probably to you and I, is that Jesus was talking about someone, the rich ruler, who if you were to look at it from, our, from a perspective, you would look at it and go, wow, that person, if there was anybody that could get into the kingdom of God, it would be this person because he was blessed with finances. He was, on the, from what all could tell, was a very moral person. He had a young, he had a family. He was young and all of that. And he had power. And, and everyone would go, wow, this is the person that, could get into God's kingdom. And then we begin to realize that Jesus is talking to him and he says, listen, I want you to sell everything you have and then come follow me. And the guy turned around because he was sad because that gripped his heart more than Jesus gripped his heart. And Jesus goes, this person is not going to enter the kingdom. And they all go, whoa, wait a minute. Well, who can, can be saved? And then we get to the blind beggar story, and then we get to Zacchaeus, and then Zacchaeus is a person that nobody would say deserved to be in the kingdom of God. He's the last person that we would expect to be in the kingdom of God, and then we read that God says, Zacchaeus, come down from this tree, I want to be at your house, and, and, and through that, Zacchaeus came to faith in Christ, and because of that, his life was transformed, and he did all these incredible things. To, to restore back to the to people that he stole from and to be generous. And there was transformation. And here we see the kind of person that Jesus says is going to enter my kingdom. And so be like the blind beggar. Be like Zacchaeus. Don't be like the rich ruler in our life. And so in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 through 27, we're going to read a somewhat difficult, difficult passage in um, this parable is going to sum up Jesus' teaching to his disciples before he goes on, um, before he gets on a donkey, uh, before the uh, palm branches wave, and before he enters into that um, week before his death. And, and this is going to really, this passage, these verses is going to sum up for you and I, for the disciples, what really he's been talking about to them this whole time on this journey, this walk that he's been given with them. And really what it's going to say to you and I is that each disciple, each adopted son, each adopted daughter has duties. Each one of you has gifts and abilities that have been given to you by Jesus. And each of them were to carry out their responsibilities and really what he's saying is, is it's about life in the interim. It's about life after the time that Jesus ascends into heaven. And between that point 
which ushered in the last days until when Jesus returns. It's this period of time where he says, I'm giving you something, and I want you to carry out these responsibilities, and you should be prepared to serve me faithfully until I return. Even though I am not physically with you, I want you to be faithful. Not only that, he shares in this parable that there's going to be an account of what you do with what I've given you. And then he's going to talk to the people that are surrounding, um, that have rejected the king, that have rejected Jesus. And he's going to share with them um, what's going to happen to them. So to understand this parable, we need to um, give a little bit of a backstory to what they would have known, what the Jewish people, what the Israelites would have known when Jesus was sharing this parable. And it started with King Herod. Remember King Herod back when Jesus was born in that birth announcement? He was the king, King Herod the Great. And he didn't, he was threatened by this, this possibility of a potential king being born that was going to usurp his, his kingdom and his reign. And so he <clears throat> went into a rage, um, learning that the, uh, the wise men had um, skirted him, and so he ended up doing what? He ended up killing uh, all the little boys under the age of, I can't remember, under the age of two, I believe. And it wasn't a, a big town, but it was still a very significant event in the life of, of that town, you can imagine the wailing that went on about mom and dad when, you know, King Herod killed these little babies. And within a couple of years of that, King Herod died, and, and he gave his reign. And really, Rome, you have to remember that this is a region, and Rome is the one who gave King Herod the power to rule in that, in that area. And so King Herod said, all right, sons, I'm going to split this up. And so then there was this one son that was wanting to be or was assigned to be king over that region. And he needed to go away to be, for lack of a better term, to be authenticated as that king. And um, as you can imagine, the Jewish people go, well, no, we don't want any more descendants of King Herod to, to rule over us. And so they, when he went 50 of the Jewish leaders went with him to protest. And then not only that, but there was a 1,000 people that were living in Rome at the time that they came and joined their protest as well. And so Rome decided, all right, there's this, there's this conflict, but what we're going to do is we're not going to put you as king right yet, but we're going to give you this title that says kind of king in waiting. You're going to have to earn it, but you're going to be ruler. And so it didn't get what they wanted the Jewish leaders, um, because he's going to be eventually their king. So they all came back. And as you can imagine, the son was furiated with the Jewish leaders, and he rounded them up, and he slaughtered them. And so this is the backstory leading up to what Jesus is telling them. And so when he says this story, when he tells them this parable, they're going to be able to go, ah, that happened. That sounds just like what happened with King Herod's son. It sounds just like what happened with King Herod. And so you can imagine how fresh it would have been for them as Jesus was telling them this parable. And so let's go to um, Luke chapter 19, 
and we're going to start with verse 11. And it says there, while they were listening, and so you can kind of circle that phrase and kind of put an arrow um, pointing up to what was just preceding that, which was at, at Zacchaeus's house, and so they were wrapping that up, and so this text says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. And it says, because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. And so the reason why, you can circle because, the reason why he's telling them this parable is that most were thinking that Jesus was going to set up his kingdom immediately. And they were seeing all the miracles and they were seeing everything that he was doing and the great man that he was. And they were opposing Rome. And so they wanted to get in on um, kind of that mob mentality, get in on what Jesus was doing. And so he wanted to set the record straight, in essence say, hey, time out, disciples. I want you to understand what's really happening. Yes, the kingdom has come, spiritually speaking, but it's not yet fully realized, physically speaking. It's yet now, but fully later. So that's what he's saying. And so then he said this parable to them. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king. Aha, does that sound like something they would have recognized with King Herod and his son? And he said, and so, he, so then the king, so he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Now a mina, which is what, I, each one of you got a quarter, right, this morning? Those of you who didn't get a quarter, whoever has the quarters, would you give somebody a quarter? But that quarter represents a mina today. And a mina represents about three or four months' worth of wages. And so take what you, take what you make a month and take that times three or take that times four, and that's what a mina was. And so the parable is this, is that he called ten of his servants... And he gave them 10 minas, around three months' wages, and he said this to them, put this money to work. And he says, do this until I come back. I'm going away, and I'm going to come, I'm going to come back, but in the meantime, put this money to work. And then it switches, and it says, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, does that sound like what? What, what happened with King Herod and his son. And so really what he's saying here is that these Jewish leaders, I mean, the noble king here is representing Jesus, and these are these Jewish leaders that are rejecting Jesus and his kingship and saying, we don't want this man to be our king. And so he said he was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, the master said. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. And his master answered, You take charge of five cities. You begin to see the pattern. See, we don't have to go through all ten to understand the pattern that begins to happen here. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. 
You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own, by your own, by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take, this, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. And then they said, sir, he already has ten. Can you, can you hear them whining? That doesn't seem fair. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And then this is, those two verses are the verses that we probably tend to stop the story in kids' life and we don't read this part. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Yeah, that's probably not very kid life friendly, is it? I mean, we really, if we're reading that story, we're really, we're really wishing that the parable would have stopped before that. I mean, we'd say like, well, that's just not very Jesus-like, is it? And, and they would have listened to that story and, and recognized well, this is kind of mirroring what happened with King Herod and what happened with King Herod's son. And you, and you remember what happened is that King Herod, his son, you know, went away. They protested. He came back. He was angry, and he slaughtered a bunch of them. And in essence, what he is saying here is don't mess with the king. They would have gotten that message don't mess with the king. You see, a whole group of people decided to mess with authority because they didn't like it. And they suffered for it. And what the message is here is those who reject Jesus are going to suffer for it in the end. And that's probably not politically correct, but it's what is said in God's word, that there is going to be, when Jesus comes back, there is going to be a separation between those who know Christ and those who don't. And ones who say yes to him and want a relationship and those who say, well, I'll take care of this later. Or I don't want this kind of God. Or I don't believe, or whatever the excuse might be of that moment. And they say no. And what we tend to do is we tend to want to focus on a Jesus that um, rewards everyone with smiley stickers and, you know, happy face emojis and thumbs up and all of that. But we forget that on, when Jesus comes back that for some, this is going to be that and more. But for others, it's going to be the worst day ever in their life. Because, and we don't talk about this enough, but because there is a judgment. Scripture says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, finish it for me, and no one comes to the Father but through him. This is what Jesus is saying. 
And we begin to understand that the people that were listening to this parable, the ones that were hanging around, the ones that were you know, trying to figure out what Jesus is saying, the religious leaders, they should have learned this lesson a long time ago with King Herod the Great and his son. That you just don't mess with the king. We begin to learn also in that parable that there's a reward that is dished out for those who are faithful in, their, in what's been given to them. And, and we begin to learn that there's rejection for those um, who hang around but don't really put their trust in him. That there is a judgment for those who openly reject Jesus. There is no neutral position in relationship to Jesus. Either one chooses for him and sees his gracious works as unique or one aligns against him. Whether in outright rebellion or by really a faithless association, I come to church, I may do all the things, but I don't have faith and I'm just doing to be morally good, a lot like the rich ruler. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples and what he's saying to you and I is that I'm going to be gone for some time. I'm going to go into heaven. and I'm going to come back, but there's going to be a time frame here where I'm not going to be with you physically. And I want you to know that I'm going to give you, in essence, a mina in your life. And I want to see, I want you to put it to work. I want you to be faithful in that. So, so that's the story. Now, a lot of times, you know, we'll just kind of wrap it up and say this is done. But what I want to get into a little bit is talk about, all right, so let's imagine you and I are, are someplace. And you're just saying, all right, Kevin, that was a great story. Tell me about, or that was a great parable. I don't know if I really understand it. Now what do I do with that in my life? How does this impact me? Every day from when I go home after church to when I come back um, next Sunday. And this is what I would say the first thing is this. Is that what you do, what I do with what I or you have been given really matters. If you get nothing else out of this morning, that phrase needs to stick with you. With what, what I do with what I've been given really matters. When you say yes to Jesus, when he says, I'm your adopted son or I am your adopted daughter, when you say yes to him, he, he has given you things, minas per se, that he says, I want you to be faithful in those things. And know this, that when I come back, that there is going to be a judgment. I am going to, scripture says, a little bit later in 1 Corinthians, that there's going to be a refining fire. And it's not to judge whether you are in heaven or not. That's a given already. What that is going to do is it's going to take and refine and to figure out what is going to last for eternity. The things that you did with what God has given you, what is it going to last for gold and silver and bronze as opposed to wood, hay, and stubble? 
and, and it's going to go through this refining process, not refining, but it's going to go through this um, figuring out process of what is going to last for eternity. And then from that, there's going to be a reward. He's going to say, in essence, okay, you 10, here are 10 cities. I don't know if it's like that or not, but there's going to be some kind of, um, some kind of, you were faithful here. And then that passage goes on. If that fire reveals that really all was wood, hay, and stubble, then, then this person escaped just like one would escape um, like a timber being snatched away from the fire. They're not burned up, but they're saved. Just barely, right? They're there. And so what I do with what I've been given really matters. And what we begin to understand is that there's a de-emphasis on the importance of what we do. And we tend to measure or we tend to compare ourselves with other people and say, well, man, look at that person. And we go, well, I'm doing a lot better than they are. You know, they're sinning this way or they're not doing this and I'm doing so much more and I'm giving so much more and I'm giving them a time so much more or whatever, whatever, whatever. And we compare and we go, all right, that's good enough. Or we see someone doing incredible stuff and we go, I can never measure up to that and we shrink away. And so we begin to compare ourselves to other people instead of and think, well, this is good enough. I'm morally good. I'm in and I just need to live my life and all that, rather than comparing ourselves to God and realize that there's nothing that we could do that would ever, ever get us into heaven. And it's only by his grace, in Christ, by faith alone, that we are his adopted son, his adopted daughter. There is nothing that you can do, bad or good, that is going to change how God loves you right now. And somehow we've picked up this idea that, that all we're to do is to, to not sin, not mess up, to finish this race, to love him, to hang out with God a lot, to, to do all of that. You know, just to, all you need to do is just enjoy God, stop worrying about, and really then just stop worrying about what you're accomplishing for him. This whole works mentality. Lessen that and just, all of that. And what that begins to do is we begin to then insulate ourselves from the world. Um, you've heard the phrase, holy huddle. That says, that's not a very good phrase. Um, we tend to insulate ourselves. We tend to build a castle with a moat and a drawbridge. We talked about that last week. That's what we tend to do. And, and that is just like the third servant who took the mina and was scared of God or scared of the king and because he had a wrong viewpoint of the king as demonstrated by his benevolence to the first two servants, this third servant had a wrong viewpoint of who that king was. But because you're a hard man, because of this, because of that, I decided that I'm not going to do anything with this mine. I'm going to wrap it up in this nice 
cheesecloth or whatever it is, microfiber cloth, and keep it for you. And that is equivalent to us getting in our holy huddle, getting in a castle, and really not doing anything with what God has given you and I. I don't think anything could be clearer in Scripture than this, that what you do with what you've been given matters. And it's the basis of your and I's reward in heaven. And it's either going to be given or it's going to be lost. Understand again that it's not your salvation that's in question here. The second thing again is that only fools mess with the king. C.S. Lewis um, talked about this, an illustration about in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where uh, we see Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and the kids are coming, and they're first meeting them, and, and they're talking, and they ask about Aslan, because they're talking about Aslan, the king, and all of that, and Mr. Beaver tells Susan that Aslan, who is the ruler of Narnia, is, is really a, a great lion, and Susan is surprised, and I'm just reading from the, the book here. Susan is surprised since she assumed Aslan was a man. And she then tells Mr. Beaver, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting the lion. And she asks Mr. Beaver if Aslan is safe, to which he replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good, and he's the king. What we tend to forget is we want to believe all of this about God, about Jesus, and we tend to forget that God is a holy God. And not any ounce or speck of sin can he tolerate. And that there is going to be a judgment. Safe, good, loving, all of that, yes, a great, great king. So what am I supposed to do with this today and next week? This is what I would say. Is to um, change your perspective. Is that realize that we're in the interim time. Remember we talked about on our 10-year anniversary, I said three things. So stay calm. So stay calm in all the chaos to stay connected, stay connected to God and stay connected to each other, missional communities, DNA groups, and to um, stay the course, to stay the course, to, to um, persevere in Jesus. Realize that he's coming back, but it's a not yet thing, and to live your life that way. And then the second thing is this. So I want you to take out that quarter that I gave you, that we gave you this morning. And, and that represents a mina for you. I want you to not spend it. <laughs> I'm going, kind of going, going against what the parable talks about, but I want you to keep it as an illustration. Illustration of this mina. And I want you to take an inventory. Take an inventory of what God has entrusted you with. What has he entrusted you with? I mean, do you have a roof over your head? Whether you own, whether you rent, whatever it might be, 
And begin to ask yourself, how is God using that for his kingdom? How am I using that to advance the kingdom of God? I mean, do you have a car? Do you have a job? I mean, in your job, you have an opportunity to make God look good. Not yourself, but to make God look good. By how you work and how you respond to other people and the quality of what you do. In the heart that you have. Have you ever thought that the job that God gave you is one of the minus? That's a very penetrating thought for me. Or the house, or the car, or whatever else that's in your life. Have you ever thought that that could be one of these minus? And it says that you're going to be judged on on what you do with what God has given you. Scripture says that everything is a gift from our Heavenly Father. How about your time? I mean, all of us can say, I bet if I went to every one of you and say, hey, how's it going? You said, my life is busy. All of us can say that. No, but you don't understand, my life is really busy. Yeah, all of us can say that. No, but you don't really understand, my life is busy. Yeah, I get it. All of us can say that. But there's little windows there, I believe, that God gives us. And what am I going to do with those little windows as well? And on some of those days, and it's not going to be every day, but on some of those days, I have the opportunity to advance the kingdom. And what am I going to do with that? And what you and I need to do is not fall into this trap of... I didn't sin, I was nice to people, I read my Bible, I gave some money, and I just didn't do anything else. And so really what Jesus is saying to you and to me, is says, I want you just to, <clears throat> says, how are you doing? It's not a guilt thing, right? We're not looking for um, sometimes we take the, uh, the Acts 2 part, the radicalness of those um, disciples, and we go, well, that's just how, what I need to be like. And we begin to understand that they just had a really short view of what was happening. I think they viewed the kingdom coming really quickly. And as we read through Acts, we begin to understand that they begin to understand that this is going to be a long time. And we begin to see that they began to become more insulated, like that third mina. And God had to bring persecution to scatter them. And so it's really not how radical you can be. What it really boils down to is how obedient are you going to be with what God has given you. And he's going to say, was there any return in what I gave you? And that's just really what it is for you and I. It's not necessarily a motivation of, well, I want all the rewards so I can look better. No, you do it because you love God. You do it because you love Jesus. But he is going to ask, and we are going to be judged by what we do here. And so my question to you, and this is how we're just going to end this morning, is... Take an inventory. What, what you do with what you've been given really matters. That's the first thing. Take an inventory of what you have.
What is your mina, minas? And then, how are you investing that to advance the kingdom? That's what I want you to wrestle with this week.